following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. If you would, uh, open up your Bibles. We are in the book of Exodus. Exodus is the second book in the Old Testament. So if you have an actual version of the Bible, that's on the left-hand side. If you have an electronic version of the Bible, it's just a few swipes to the left. Um, Exodus chapter 31 is where we're at. It's crazy to think that we are coming to a close here in Exodus, and then Easter is almost here. And that just kind of blows my mind sometimes. But um, Exodus chapter 31, and we are going to look at verses 12 all the way through verses 18. So Exodus 31, verse 12 through 18. One day, a man challenged another man to an all-day wood chopping contest. Anybody want to have that? All-day wood chopping contest contest. I would have that contest if I was allowed a gas wood chopper. They were swinging regular axes, though. The challenger worked hard. He stopped only for a brief lunch, and the other man had a relaxed lunch, and he took several breaks during the day. At the end of the day, the challenger was a little bit surprised and annoyed to find the other guy had chopped a significant amount more of wood than he did. And so the man walks up to the other man and he says, I don't get it. You were taking long lunches and every time I checked, it looked like you were taking a rest. And it seems to me that you chopped more wood than I chopped. And the other man looked at him and he says, I did. But there was something you didn't notice because your perception sometimes is not always reality. And he said... That when it seemed like I was resting, what was really happening was I was sharpening my axe every time I sat down to rest. How did we get to Exodus 31? And if you cheated and looked at the heading, obviously today we're talking about the Sabbath. And so in Exodus, we see a man whose name is Moses, and he is called to lead a people group called the Israelites. And as we have kind of jumped chapters these past couple of weeks, um, we give a little bit of a summary on how we got to this place. We remember the Israelites were slaves to Egypt, and then um, Moses brought them out of Egypt. In Exodus 25, God commands Moses to tell these Israelite people to bring him certain items to have an offering to build a place called a tabernacle. And in the Old Testament, that word tabernacle is interesting. It is a place where God is going to choose to dwell with his people and where Moses, their leader, could meet with him. It is good to have a place, especially in the Old Testament, where the people and the leaders can meet with God to get what he wants for them. In Exodus chapter 26, there's a bunch of details of the tabernacle. For example, these measurements called cubits. And then there's colors and what colors the curtains should be. And it's in Exodus chapter 26 and 27, we learn that colors and patterns are important. Right, ladies? 
All right, there you go. I just validated the renovation that's about to take place in your house. And gentlemen, I'm sorry, but God is concerned about color choices. In Exodus 27, not only is it color choices, but now there's dimensions of the tabernacle and specifics on how this should be built. In Exodus 27, it talks a lot about the altar. And the Israelites are commanded to bring a pure olive oil that would be a light that never goes out. Lots of symbolism happens in the Old Testament, and God does things for a specific reason and a specific purpose. Aaron, as we know, that is Moses' right-hand man, has two sons, and they are going to be the Levitical priesthood that intercede for for the people. And we see that Aaron and his sons are to keep a specific order of the tabernacle every day. In Exodus 28, we see that this is how these priests are ordained in their garments, like their breastplate and a robe and all of these other things, as well as their colors. In Exodus 29, there's instructions for ordaining priests. And then Exodus 30 is interesting. If you look at the very first verse, there is God and Moses having a conversation, and they're going to continue talking about the tabernacle. And then all of that sets up for this word called the Sabbath. And this is the most misunderstood word in all of the Bible. This is a word that people use uh, all the time and have no idea what it means. And so if you could just pray for me this morning as we talk through these passages of Scripture, because we really need to get this right. Today, our whole goal is to remember the Sabbath properly. Biblically, what does it mean to remember the Sabbath? Is it for us or was it for the Israelites? And how does remembering the Sabbath tie into today? Well, let's look at verse 12 and see if we can make some sense out of this. Verse 12. The Lord spoke to Moses. You are to speak to the people of Israel And you are to say to them, above all, you should keep my Sabbaths. Key word there is the word Sabbath is plural. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations. Another key word. That you may know that I am the Lord, am the one that sanctifies you. Another uh, word for that is the one who sets you apart. So, the first thing that we learn here when we're studying the Sabbath is, the Sabbath helps us to recall. (laughs) What are we recalling? Good question. Well, God told Moses to tell the Israelites that he created the Sabbath, which is after six days of work, there was a day of what I'll call from here on out restful worship. Restful worship. Now, the Sabbath, like I said, is full of much controversy. A long story short, and after a lot of study, the Sabbath day for the Israelites, or Jews, was Saturday. It was a time where God had commanded them to come and to rest, and we'll define that in a second. To answer the question, the Sabbath is not for the New Testament church. It is for the Israelites. It is a command specifically to the Israelites. Now, that doesn't mean you get to check out, because there's still connotations for us. God never said, or God, excuse me, said that the Sabbath was a sign between him and the Israelites, not a sign between New Testament believers or Gentiles. 
the Old Testament Sabbath was a reminder for Israel to remember that she was a nation separate to God. And it was part of the Old Testament law. It was to be a day of complete, physical, restful worship from all of their hard labors. It was not a day for them to sit around and watch Netflix. It was a day where they were to worship the Lord. Now, if that's the case, how does that apply to us? Well, if Christ has fulfilled this Sabbath, that doesn't mean that we as New Testament Christians shouldn't remember this because it's in the Bible, or that we as New Testament believers shouldn't have days or times that are set apart to participate in restful worship. So how do we recall the Sabbath? Well, first of all, let's define it, okay? Let's define it. In verse 13, the very first part For Israel, there were many Sabbaths. If you want to, you can circle that word in your Bible, the word Sabbaths. They had multiple Sabbaths. They had Sabbath years. They had Jubilee Sabbaths. They had a day of Sabbath. And all of those are going to be assigned between God and Israel. So Israel would know that God alone is the one who sanctifies or sets apart them as a nation. It was put in place... So the people would not forget. Because we as people are quick to forget. And so this has been distorted in many ways. For example, if you were to go to Israel today and you were to go and watch them observe what is called a Sabbath, a lot of them sit around and do nothing. And God would hate that because it was specifically supposed to be a day of restful worship. And it was supposed to be a day where they remembered that God had set them apart. Most Jewish people today who celebrate the Sabbath wish God would do something for them instead of doing something for the Lord. And so they wait for God to do instead of to worship. And we are the same. We as New Testament believers are often wanting God to do something instead of doing something for him. And so... In the New Testament church, while we don't have an actual Sabbath day, we have set apart Sunday as our time of corporate worship. This is our day of restful worship. Somebody asked me the question. They said, Pastor Jordan, how do you observe a day of restful worship? Aren't you working on Sunday? And I said, no. This is not the work. This is the restful worship where we lead the people of God to praise God for who he is and what he has done. It's not a time where we sit at home and do nothing. The Sabbath for Old Testament Israel was to be active worship where they rested from harsh labor. And it was to be a time where they participated in worship. In the New Testament, what we see is believers, according to Romans chapter 12, verse 1, are to always be in worship, whether that's your rest or your work. All things are to be done for the glory of God, But we also should have a designated time specifically set apart for the Lord to gather to worship, to rest from our labor, and to focus on pleasing God. And you are here today as part of that time. Good for you. But the question on the table is, are there other pockets of time that you have put into place where you're restfully worshiping God? Or have you compartmentalized your faith and put that this is Jesus' time and this is my time? That's not what God calls us to do. 
So the first thing that the Sabbath helps us to recall is, what are we doing for restful worship? But then also, we see the Sabbath as a sign. The purpose of the Sabbath was to be a sign, a physical manifestation of something, in this case, not working on the seventh day, to be uh, special where everyone could see what was transpiring. In other words, as the people went to worship, the pagans from the communities would ask, what are you doing? And they would tell them, we're going to worship our God. He has, flee- he has freed us out of slavery. He has given us a land that we are going to uh, acquire. And so they would respond to the pagan people and tell them exactly how great God was and that they had received a day of restful worship. They were demonstrating that their God was holy and set apart, and he wanted them to be holy and set apart. Look at how Leviticus, one of the most riveting books of the Bible, uh, explains this. For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate, that word means sanctify. Set yourselves apart, and you be holy because I'm holy. And you shall not make yourselves unclean with any of the swarming things that swarm on the earth. Well, let's bridge the gap from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Peter says it like this to the church. He says, as obedient children, don't be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. In other words, what he says is, you be like the Holy One who called you to be holy. The same charge that Peter gives to the New Testament church is very similar to this charge that God gave to the Old Testament Israelites. And it should be in your behavior because it is written. Where? In the Old Testament. Be holy because I am holy. Well, so what? Well, God loves when his covenant people are faithfully keeping signs of his covenant. For us as New Testament believers, it's when we gather for corporate worship. It's when we open up our Bibles in the morning and spend time in God's word. It's when we pray together as family over food and in the mornings and the evenings. All of these things point back to how great our God is. When we do what God commands, we're constantly telling people and showing people our why to what we worship just as the Old Testament Israelites did. Now, words match actions and actions match words. So explain yourself well. In Old Testament, a Sabbath, a day set apart for worship, is sanctified by the Lord. It is set apart as holy. And by Old Testament Israelites observing that Sabbath, they're testifying to the world the holy attributes of God. They're also pointing us to Christ who will come and we know did come and we in the New Testament now look at this and say we have opportunity and obligation to explain ourselves. It says in the Bible this way, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. Can you explain to people the why for what you do? And here's a better question, what you do, does it point back to the Christ who has saved you from your sins? So the first thing that we see is the Sabbath helps us recall how great God is, how wonderful he is, and how he calls us to worship him. But here in verse 14, it continues. He says, you shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. 
Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. I love that passage of scripture because if we can put that in a New Testament context, it says if you skip church, you die. <laughs> Six days you do your work. On the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest. This place, Saturday for them, was a holy day to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Holy cow. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, verse 16. They shall observe the Sabbath throughout their generations, and it shall be a covenant forever. It is a sign forever, there's a word sign again, between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, validating the book of Genesis, and on the seventh day he rested and he was refreshed. What's happening here? What God's doing is he is defining things for the people because obviously the people need things to be defined. Failure to keep the Sabbath resulted in death. Now, if you do me a favor and circle that word death, because it doesn't necessarily mean physical death. In context, what it meant was the people would suffer death by being excommunicated from the community. In other words, the people would look at them and they say, why didn't you observe the Sabbath? If you don't observe the Sabbath, then you're not part of the Israelites. And if you're not part of the Israelites, then you shouldn't be a part of our community. And so they put them out of the community. And you probably think that that's harsh, but to the people, God's word was truth. And so for them, they said, hey, you die. We all don't want to die because we know that can happen too. And so here we realize that this actually happened. If you look at Numbers chapter 15, verse 32, it really took place. All of those verses outline how the Sabbath defines three specific things. Watch this, technically four. <clears throat> One. The Sabbath, verse 14, defines what it means to be holy. Holy, you could circle that word here, means a sacred thing. Specifically, in context with the Bible, this is a rest period. It shows God as pure, unlike corrupt humanity. And wanting his people to be the same. It is just like us as parents who want our kids to be good kids. Amen? Like nobody has a child and says, I hope that you could just be the most corrupt person in the whole entire world. That's not our prayer for our kids. And if that's not our prayer for our kids, how could that be our prayer for our God? So here we see that this day was a sacred thing. It was like a sanctuary where sinful humanity could be in restful worship. They could humbly adore the living God and they could dedicate and consecrate themselves to him and to him alone. Now, here's the key. The focus was not to be on who they were, but what God had done and worship him accordingly. In observing the Sabbath, Israel was both giving a gift to God and imitating him. Again, the Sabbath is for Israel. So we look at that and we say, uh, so how does that apply to me? Like, I don't have to do that then, right? Isn't it funny how quick we are to say, I don't have to do this and I do have to do this. And instead of saying, God, what do you require of me? Well, our applications are twofold. Number one, in our work and our rest, we have to ask ourselves, because I believe fully that the parameters in the New Testament are almost greater than the parameters that are outlined in the Old Testament. And here, for us, the first thing is that our work and rest, we have to ask ourselves, in those two buckets, am I living in humble adoration for our living God? 
In other words, do I do all things for the glory of God, whether that's my work or my rest? And number two, have I set aside specific day and times, even though I don't have to, to participate in restful worship? Now, this doesn't mean that I get to just put everything away and just sit. This means these are times when I put things away and focus on who God is, spend time in his word, spend time in prayer, and make sure that he is getting the praise that he so rightfully deserves. What is the biggest sin in the American church? Busyness. Because we think that if we're busy, we must be godly. But God looks at us and he says, in your busyness, sometimes there is ungodliness. And so the Sabbath helps us, number two, define work and rest. This is why I said technically four. There's two here. The command to observe the Sabbath was also stated in the Ten Commandments, another thing that was important to God. And it was based on God resting after his work in creation in six days. Well, hold on a second, Pastor Jordan. What's the difference between work and rest? Can we define that? Absolutely. Work is defined as labor. If you're an Old Testament Israelite, you knew labor, right? Because you lived in slavery. Make bricks. Okay. No, no uh, materials. Make more bricks, right? That's their work. And here, when we see work, it was when somebody was in motion carrying out a specific operation. You know it like this. It's when you do business, okay? Well, it's rest. Rest is a rest period or a period in time for resting or restful worship. I don't see anywhere in the Bible, and I say this as, as lovingly as I possibly can, where you're called to just rest, to not focus on who God is and what he's all about. If you're working, you're working for the glory of God. If you're resting, you are in adoration for what God has done. So the question that I've asked this past week, and now I ask you the same thing, have we defined work from restful worship? Third thing, Sabbath gives us teaching moments. And this is huge for us who have kids. It's no doubt the children who were Israelites, right, would have looked at their mom and dad and said, excuse me, mom and dad, what are we doing? Like, why are we doing this? How many times have you as a parent had this happen, right? We're going to church, and they say, why? Why do we go to church? And you look at it and you go, that's a good question. You should ask Pastor Jordan that when we get to church, right? <clears throat> I know how you are. The children would have asked, what are we doing? And the parents from generation to generation could give their kids two truths. One, we're God's people. And we're to observe God's Sabbath because God commanded us to. This is the same thing as God looking at his kids and saying, because I said so. Isn't that great? Mom and dad, we can use that. We can say, because I said so. I'm your parents. I know better than you. Right? This is a sign that God has given to us, and he told us to do it. Well, why? Because God told us to do it. Well, what happens if we don't? You die. That's kind of fun, right? Number two, parents would have told their kids, we listen to God because he made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. If God made all of this for us, they would tell their kids, then we worship God because he is good, and his love endures forever. David Wilbur says it like this, a famous commentary. He says, God didn't intend Sabbath to be a burden, but rather it was to be a time of joy for the people. And yes, we're not, as New Testament believers, called to observe this Sabbath because in Christ we have restful worship. 
And we're supposed to always be teaching the younger, next generation, declaring what God has commanded. Mark Buchanan says it like this. He says, most of the things we need to be fully alive never come in busyness. They grow in rest. And I would change that a little bit, and I would say they grow in restful worship. But we're not under the Sabbath, through the blood of Christ, entering into rest through grace. The penalty of death for failure to observe the Sabbath is no longer. But the Old Testament Sabbath points New Testament believers to ask, when and where am I living in humble adoration of God? When and where have I set aside time to worship the Lord for all he is, all he has done, all he is doing, and all he will do? If Sunday is part of our time for restful worship, have we made being here in the family of God a priority? Is this consistent? I've said it for years. My prayer for God's church is that they would be consistent and faithful. There is so much that can happen in regards to our spiritual growth when we are consistent and faithful. Or have we, and we need to repent of it before we take the Lord's Supper, submerged ourselves in busyness? When we find places to stop and be still and to participate in restful worship, we see holiness manifested. Sometimes, and I say this church, who I love you dearly, but sometimes we do not see holiness manifested because we have masked it with our busyness. And here God says, I want you to work well, but I want you to restfully worship well. I want you to have those opportunities to teach your children about how great I am. And even more than that. So look at verse 18. In the passage he closes, he says, He gave to Moses when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, because he knew Moses was forgetful. He's getting older, by the way. And so he says, hey, you're going to forget this, so let me write it down. And he writes it down on two tablets of the testimony of stone, written with the finger of God. We have no idea how this happened. We just know that it happened. With God's instructions to Moses given on Mount Sinai, Concerning the tabernacle, as we talked about in the previous chapters, the priestly ministry is complete. The Decagogue, or Ten Commandments, as we know, the testimony of God's standards are inscribed on two tablets. And again, we're not tackling that today, okay? What is sad here is we would think that the people would have looked at this and saw it as freeing. And they would have said, well, do this. We, we would love to do this. This is great. We labored for so long. Of course, we'll be in uh, restful worship to God. But we know in the story, the rest of the story, that the Israelites became corrupt. And stiff-necked is the actual word. And while Moses is up on the mountain with God, they're creating a golden calf. And we're going to talk about that next week. It's a fantastic story. And as they break the covenants, Moses is crushed. And you see example after example in the Old Testament of continual disobedience. And the call for the New Testament believer is that you would not be continually disobedient, but you would be actively obedient individually as a church, learning from these mistakes and embracing work and rest as they should be. This year, 
we've been going through, and I don't know if you've picked it up or not, but we've been going through a devotional called Truth for Life by a man named Alistair Begg. If you haven't picked that up yet, it's, uh, the link to purchase it is on our website. You can go ahead and click the homepage. It's a small devotional every single day. It's fantastic. And if you read it, uh, on the March 3rd devotional, Alistair quoted Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. It says this, While the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them. That passage in Hebrew says good news has come to us as believers, the Messiah Christ, just as good news came to them, the Israelites of old. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Alistair then says, too often believers are terrific at leisure, but we are lousy at resting. Why? Well, one reason may be because Western culture places a high premium on the relentless pursuit of higher and higher goals and higher and higher levels of success. And you should be prosperous. If you do these three things, God will give you more money. <laughs> Even our leisure is full of pursuits nowadays and a desire for us to improve and to achieve. And underneath this lies the affliction of every culture, our alienation from the God who created us and made us both to work and to rest. When sin entered into the world, Rest eluded mankind. Whatever else you might say about humanity, it is undeniable that we're not marked by tranquility or restfulness. Leisure is not rest if you have worked so hard to achieve only a few moments of peace or if you fill your leisure with things to do. Surely there is something more that God desires. And the people would say, Amen. God offers a rest that soothes our souls. Soul rest flows from a life that is surrendered to the Lord in faith. When the dust of death, which came from sin, settled upon humanity, we could no longer enjoy the deepest rest God intended. We needed a new creation. And this is exactly what God has provided. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, If anyone is in Christ, in other words, if anyone has confessed their sin, believed upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and entered into a relationship with God through faith in Christ, he or she is a new creation. And in creation, God established the principle of physical rest. And in redemption, he established the possibility of perfect spiritual rest. Yet even so, the people of all walks of life, even some professing Christians, insist on living their lives with a, with a disregard for God. They spurn his invitations to rest their souls, remaining only hearers of the word, but not doers, as James chapter 1, verse 22 says. And then they hope to enter into the rest when they die. And the Bible holds, out our ho holds no hope for those who approach life in this way. Listen to this. Just as the Israelites in the wilderness found God's promise of no benefit because they failed to believe them, we similarly can't expect to know God's gift of soul rest in this life or in the one to come if we continue in our own faithless striving. 
Thankfully, everything revolves around Jesus. He cuts through the facade of empty religious pretenses, and he uh, cuts through this desperate worldly striving and offers us a gracious invitation. And that gracious invitation is in the book of Matthew. And in the book of Matthew, chapter 11, verse 28, it says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. This is a rest that we can enjoy even as we work, a rest that enables us truly to rest from our work, and a rest that we will one day enjoy fully and finally and eternally in the presence of God as believers in Christ. Alistair asks great questions as he closes out that devotional Questions that you should ask and that I should ask. Is your soul at rest today? Or are you so anxious about what tomorrow may bring or exhausted by what you feel you must achieve today? The work that satisfies your greatest desire and solves your greatest need, the work of salvation was finished by Jesus on your behalf at Calvary. And he invites you to come to him to know that he has taken care of your eternal future and that the task that he purposes for you today will all be done no more and no less. And so what's our response as a church? We have to believe in the Lord. And may our rest be honoring and glorifying to God and may our work be honoring and glorifying to God. And may we rest in the truths and the promises of scripture. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, an Old Testament command that points to a New Testament truth that Jesus, the Messiah, has fulfilled every single part of the law. And we're thankful that Christ has done these things. And so we rest as New Testament believers in Christ. And we ask ourselves this morning, God, if we are truly men and women who are working for the glory of God or the glory of ourselves. And we ask as your children, are we restfully worshiping for the glory of God or for the benefit of ourselves? And as we're gathered here today, and as we get ready to take communion, as we come and sit at your table and examine our hearts, and prepare ourselves for the day that we see approaching Well, you'll come again soon. We ask that you would align us to your word and to your will and to your truth. And where we are seeing that we work for ourselves too much, we ask for forgiveness. And where we are seeing our rest that is simply for ourselves and not for you, we ask for your forgiveness. And we pray that you would change our minds and that our radically renewed hearts would help our minds be fixated on what is honoring and glorifying to you. Convict us through the power of your Holy Spirit. Teach us, train us, discipline us, so that we may do all things for your glory. God, we see the day approaching. We ask that you would speak to us now. Convict us and give us the opportunity to turn from our sin and trust in the gospel that we have received. It is in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. 
If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.